Hi everyone, I'm really looking forward to this episode. The topic is a little heavier and very complex, however it's so important. It's something that is really only talked about by people who are more directly affected by it. That's why I'm looking forward to this talk. Me and my friend Sarah are going to bring this a little more into the minds of people who might not be directly affected or don't think they're directly affected because We just were chatting and like it kind of hits everyone, sort of. Sarah is such a sweet soul. While texting her about this chance to speak on my podcast, I called her the gentlest force. She will always ask for exactly what she needs, but she will do it in the kindest way. She is such an empowered human. This topic is endometriosis and how the field of medicine treats humans with uteruses. I would also like to give Sarah a like just like a timeline of your kind of endometriosis journey but first like in your words how would you describe what endometriosis is yeah so it's typically described as like so when when a human with a uterus menstruates there's tissue that grows that endometrial lining and then it sheds typically during like your actual bleeding time so it's typically described as like that tissue but growing in places it shouldn't so a lot of people know that it could grow like on your ovaries or on your uterus but can also spread they found like pretty much anywhere like they found it in the brain but very commonly too it could be on like bowels or people's chests or anything like that um i have heard that sometimes it can like try to shed and bleed and that's where a bunch of pain comes from because that doesn't have anywhere to go i've heard it doesn't always bleed but either way it's very inflammatory um and it's tissue that is not where it should be (laughs) Yeah, that's perfect. Thank you. I know it's like way more kind of nuanced than that. And that there's just so much for everyone's personal journey, but just kind of like a basic like um, <laughs> endometriosis for dummies, sort of just like, <laughs> what is this? Yes, <laughs> so again, just like, um, I know it's a long timeline. You've been dealing with this for a long time, but you probably get these questions a lot. So you probably have like a, like a little like soapbox. You're like, I, <laughs> I know exactly what to say. Just kind of like a general, like, um, walkthrough of just kind of like what you've been dealing with. I started my period pretty young, like right after fifth grade. I don't have any vivid memories of it being crazy until about like sophomore junior year of high school and then by senior year I was like every month missing school missing like any commitments I passed out for the first time on my period because the pain was really bad senior year of high school so senior year I, when I passed out I was like something's up here so I went to Planned Parenthood probably March of 2015 so still high school and they were like yeah here's some birth control and I was like okay this seems good so I took it and it just kind of made me feel a little funky I wasn't on it long before my mom found it went off it so then fast forward to like September of 2015 it's my freshman year of college and like I was living alone and paying like rent so missing work Mm because I was working jobs like you know like waitress or things where you don't have PTO was really affecting me financially and like I was missing classes I didn't know well enough to like have disability accommodations so I was just like failing college classes so I went back to another OBGYN and they were like well, here's a pill where you'll only get your period four times a year. So I was like, okay. So it never helped. I like, I don't think I ever even skipped periods. I was having weird pain, but even worse, like got very depressed. I was feeling off mentally and an older coworker was like, hey, it could be the birth control. So I went off and like that got better. My periods were still awful, but I was like, maybe this isn't for me. So I just kind of like, I don't really know where I should go from here. So I think it would be the next year, like fall 2016. I saw an OBGYN 
around here in Michigan that said, you know, special interests and like endometriosis and fibroids. I was like, okay, like she knows what she's talking about. And I had, I think just Googling like passing out from my period had led me to the term endometriosis. And my aunt has a confirmed diagnosis of it. And my mom like very likely had it kind of like hits all the markers. So I was like, this is probably what I have. So I kind of went into her and was like passing out from my periods I'm in so much pain. I have this family history. Like, I think I have endometriosis. And she was like, I don't think you have it. And I was like, okay, well, and I should back up to say for people who don't know, and we'll get there later, but typically they say that surgery is the only way to like truly diagnose endo, which is mostly true. So I was basically advocating like, can you open me up and see? Because Mm -hmm. I'd rather like, I want to know, I want to get relief. So she was like, I will open you up, but you have to agree to an IUD after because like that will help mitigate like they say a lot of times people regard birth control as a treatment for endometriosis because it stops your period which then stops that endometrial tissue from growing further Mm -hmm. so i was like i really had a hard time mentally on birth control i don't think that's a good idea she was basically like then i won't give you the surgery so i was like okay i'll do it so they like gave me the surgery put the iud in i woke up she said there was absolutely nothing wrong like not even a cyst, no signs of endometriosis, nothing. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I don't have it. And then, so that was December, end of 2016. The next eight months, I had like horrible pain every day. So like my pain was usually at this point, only those first one to two days Mm -hmm. a month. But it was like all the time. I was on narcotics for like two and a half months straight post-surgery because I was in so much pain. I started having panic attacks, which I've never ever had before in my life so I like went back to her probably three months in and was like hey I don't think that I'm good from this IUD like please take this out like it's not like a pill where you can just stop taking it like I was like I need you to remove this and Mm -hmm. she was like yeah I don't think it's the IUD and I was like I'm reading a lot of other stories where people are saying this is happening Mm -hmm. like I know my body so she basically was like nope they did a scan they were like it's in the right place I don't know why you're having pain sorry I have an IUD it's a terrible horrible awful experience and that was not at all advertised to me (laughs) no not at all no one talks about it there's actually a documentary I'm gonna mention later okay yeah it's biased but it's a good resource so okay (laughs) um I was just really struggling like April of so four months like the month after I would have seen the doctor and talked to it talked about it I ended up going on like a bunch of psych meds I just like I'd never been on psych meds but I was like I'm not functioning like I was not showing up to work I was like very explosive my moods were all over the place I was so consumed by anxiety it was Mm -hmm. really bad so this just kept getting worse and then in August of 2016 I was like I cannot do this anymore so we got the IUD taken out my panic attack stopped like literally almost immediately I was still kind of struggling mentally and like I was taking psych meds for what was very likely the effects of the IUD so Mm -hmm. everything was just a little off in my brain and like a little wonky but I was like I'm never doing that again so I still kind of had these horrible periods she she prescribed um this will be a new one for a lot of people like vaginal Valium and she literally was like you have to put this like up your vagina three times a day and it will like relax your uterus like I'm dead serious like I told this to another doctor and they were like what (laughs) I don't know if that was like really even a thing it never helped so I kind of had no place to go because I'd had the surgery I was told I'd have it yeah so I a different doctor took out the IUD and they told me I probably still had it somewhere kind of like not in the typical places they check like my bowels or something so that was the first time I'd heard of that I had no idea if that was a thing so I kind of just 
benchmarked that and was like, okay, I, I can't even think about like what that would mean. So we'll just come back to it. Yeah. So I don't think I saw anyone. Probably about another year, I went to like at one point the U of M has like an endometriosis clinic and thought mm-hmm. like they'd have answers there. Like, yeah, take birth control. And I was like, okay, so we're back to square one. Mm-hmm. So I went to a few doctors in this time. I ended up going back to the doctor who took my IUD out and he wanted to put me on called Oralissa so anyone who has endo might know about it but it's basically it's a hormonal version of Lupron which Lupron's hormonal too but it puts you in a temporary menopause you can only take it for like six months so he this was like right before I was getting married was like yeah take this medication and like if your pain gets better then we know it's endo but it literally like it's hormonal so on their website in the side effects says like depressive issues and stuff so I was like hey this is like not an option for me yeah and it can, like, cause huge, huge issues with your bone density because it's, like, you're putting your body in menopause. Yeah. So I said no. It was, like, I just can't risk doing that. So I didn't go back to him. Mm-hmm. I then was, like, in Facebook groups, and I found this group called Nancy's Nook, like, Endometriosis Education Group. And it was all, like, it's not a discussion group. It's a testimonial group, and people were just sharing their stories, and they were so close to mine. We're, like, they've had surgery before. We're told they didn't have it. Like, all this stuff. And they had a list of what they called excision surgeons, which is a term I had never heard before. So I was kind of like, okay, what is this? So Nancy's Nook excision surgeons are, like, vetted to, A, make sure that they, like, know what they're talking about and know that during surgery they search all the places. So, like, a lot of people say they found endo my first surgery. If it had been other places other than my uterus, they might not have gotten it all. So, like, a lot of people are coming in being, like, I had surgery, got endo removed, like, still having issues. And also, most endosurgeons go in laparoscopically, but it's kind of like, so, like, if there's endo, they get it at the surface. It's kind of like if you're weeding and don't get the weed at the root. So there's cells still there, and it can grow back. So a lot of people with endo are, like, having surgery every two to three years. Or, like, we're going to have a kid, so let's have surgery, immediately have the kid. Like, it's just not... A sustainable change yeah so I so I these excision doctors like literally get it like at its root they know all the places to check all this stuff so I found one on the list in Michigan that mm-hmm. so this like, Catholic practice in Ann Arbor didn't even take my insurance but I like when he was on medical leave and that was one of his co-workers and he uh, told me to get pregnant as treatment which in all fairness there is some research that suggests that like when women get pregnant or people with uteruses get pregnant, like breastfeeding hormones and like pregnancy hormones can kind of put endo in like remission. But that's like but, a big life choice. <laughs> what do you say? That's like a big life choice for treatment. Big life choice. And secondly, a lot of people with endo, and I'll get to this point, can't get pregnant. And honestly, oh. when we get to this point, like knowing how severe mine was, I would not have been able to get pregnant. And also, I'm married to a woman, so like that doesn't just happen. <laughs> it's not right. Um, and they were just very dismissive they didn't like there was uncomfortability that I was gay like that was very obvious and then the guy never returned from medical leave and retired so we literally did not have a single excision surgeon in all of Michigan and I was like yeah yeah in like the United States like so I looked back at the list and I was like okay there's some excision clinic in Ohio which is like not ideal but it's only one state away so we uh, we ended up, I, like, called and was like, this is my insurance. Because another thing is, a lot of the doctors on that list, since there's such a demand, there's, like, so they estimate that 1 in 10 
uterus-bearing folks have endo, but there's only about 200 excision surgeons worldwide, like literally worldwide, and there's millions of people with endo. So a lot of these excision surgeons will say, hey, there's high demand. I won't take insurance. You have to just pay completely, like cash pay. Like I just don't. That's like not appropriate at all. Yep. Well, and so part of we can get there too, but I was, I was very curious, like, why are there so few excision surgeons? I guess that like in the OBGYN world, so somebody can be like a surgeon will be reimbursed the same rate for like a quick 15 minute laparoscopy as my like four and a half hour, um, excision surgery. So like, surgery. it's just not worth the extra training for a lot of people in financially. Yeah. Okay. And when you're an OBGYN, you have to take obstetrics training too, which I get, but so then a lot of your time split to do this extra training and it not be worth money. So that's why a lot of doctors will say, I can charge what I want cash, you know? <sighs> so I found one in Ohio that was on my insurance and I was like, okay, so we did a virtual visit first because I was like, respectfully, if you're just going to tell me that you're going to give me birth control again, I don't want to make this drive. Mm-hmm. So I typed up like nine and a half pages of my patient history. Like these are all the things I've tried because I should mention too, like, I tried every natural treatment in the book. I've done, like, cut out dairy, cut out gluten, like, do this, do this. Nothing was helping. I got, like, hormone levels tested. She read the entire thing. She was so kind on Zoom. And she, Mm -hmm. like, said, she was like, it sounds like you have endo to me. So she asked me to come down, and she was like, you know, I want to do this test, but if you, if we don't see anything, I still want to give you surgery because, like, surgery is the only true diagnostic tool. So she suggested, so it had like several ultrasounds, all came normal. She Mm -hmm. said that Cleveland Clinic could do an MRI, like a pelvic MRI. It's something that's not really widely offered that they've Mm -hmm. like perfected and that it can sometimes see endo. Okay. It's not 100% accurate, but like it's a good starting point. So I went down there in July of 2021 and they did the MRI. I was supposed to like wait, like wait a month for results. The end of getting results while I was literally in my like in-person appointment with her that day. And it showed endo. So I like knew going into surgery that I was not crazy. That, Did you like, like cry? Were you like, I've just been oh, waiting for this? So like, I don't, I don't think I saw that coming. I also didn't expect to like know that day. Like sobbed. It was just so validating. And yeah. So it also showed it like on my bowels, which was good because we knew then. So we were able to make a plan. So, like I got actually at Cleveland Clinic, they had the OBGYN surgeon on my case. They also had a colorectal surgeon who, like, does endo stuff on my case because okay. there was, like, they didn't know how deep it was. I could have ended with, like, a colostomy bag. You know, it's, like, very serious. Mm-hmm. So they scheduled surgery. I had surgery November 2021, and it was stage four endo. It was, like, literally everywhere. They found cysts on my ovaries, which I'd wondered about forever. Like, I no ultrasound showed those one of the cysts was literally comprised of like endometriosis like there was just so much endo concentrated isn't that crazy wow <laughs> and they like it was on my bowels in multiple spots they found a little in my chest so like that couldn't be removed because it's a whole separate surgery yeah it's, like plaque like on my uterus and like in my pelvis like just literally like plaque um she removed all of it except for the chest like fully excised and I literally saw improvement within, like, days. Like, crazy things. This is a podcast, so, like, no one can see my <laughs> face, but, like, my jaw has been fully dropped this whole time. I, like, and I mean, not to be annoying, but I'm, like, tearing up. Like, that's insane. No. Like, that probably felt so, like, even just, like, hearing, like, you know, you're right. Like, you're suffering from uh-huh. this. Like, you knew, like, 
for me, that'd be like, oh my god, thanks, thank yes. you. Yes, literally, like, I just, I didn't even know, like, for years, like, at work, I've said, like, I have a note, because it's, like, hard to describe to people, I, I don't know what I have, but I'm in, like, horrible pain every month, I need you to know it's, like, serious, like, it's not, like, oh, I'm a little uncomfortable, like, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. Like, one time I... I got in a car accident and started my period in the hospital, and they gave me morphine, and, like, my I didn't even touch my cramps. Like, I was, like, I'm still in horrible pain. Like, how, like, it's just, like, terrible, terrible. And I should say, too, sorry, so much in the time. No, you're fine. Like, about two years ago, I, like, started having some other symptoms. The pain started being, like, at other times of the month, I was having, like, you know, like, it wasn't surprising to me. It was on my bowels because there was, like, stuff like that. That's mm-hmm. like a little TMI. But, like, <laughs> there was just some funky things going on that yeah. I was like, this is getting worse, not mm-hmm. better. Like, it's deeply affecting my life. That surgeon, the kindest woman, she, like, pre-op was, like, rubbing my arm. Like, mm-hmm. just the gentlest, most nurturing woman. She's a kick-ass surgeon. She freaking changed so, her life. We love yeah, her. Yeah. She, like, gave me, we want to have kids, she, like, gave me this, like, little fertility test where they shoot the dye up your ovaries, and it was going to cost, like, a bunch of money, and she was like, we just don't tell insurance. Like, she just, like, just a nice, nice woman. I do want to say that before we get any more into this discussion, just kind of, like, a heads up, is that while reading about this, I came across the term gender bias often. I don't think I'm going to use that because it's not about gender so much as it's more about just, like, your physical biology just so um like non-binary or um trans or whatever like all fits in this discussion it affects anybody with a uterus so i hope that's correct if not and somebody hears this please feel free to let me know um which i usually say uterus bearing folks but i'm very open to corrections i love that so here a couple of the questions we already got to was just like you mentioned um what other treatments you had to go through um and then whether you were misdiagnosed frequently or not it wasn't like a misdiagnosis so much it was just like you just you don't have endo yeah for a while i was just told like you have dysmenorrhea which is basically just an umbrella oh. term for like your periods kind of suck like you know like it's not really like a medical <laughs> thing you just it's a little here's a doctor so <laughs> wow yeah oh my we touched so many of these questions i was just on it i was like i know exactly <laughs> what we're gonna talk about because i was like did you already know that yourself that it was endo and like that's so frustrating like to feel i guess that's like a medical gaslighting like <laughs> yeah that's the, the surgeon when she like when i was stopping in her office after that my results used that term and i was like i've never heard it contextualized like that but like that is absolutely a thing Mm-hmm. absolutely oh for sure you mentioned that you scheduled your wedding for two different dates just in case yeah. that like it lined up with your period by chance um yeah. in what other ways has endometriosis dramatically affected your just daily living or like your life plans yeah oh my gosh i mean like like the wedding's a good example you know we we're staying down and you usually plan a wedding like months to years in advance and I was like I don't know and like my my period I'm lucky because it's pretty regular but random things like one time I had to take antibiotics because I was sick and my period was eight days late like random things can set off the schedule or even just you know two to four days variance month to month doesn't add up like seem like a lot but over the course of a year that could be like a month's difference mm-hmm. so like we literally were like our, our wedding's gonna be May 8th or May 15th we'll let you know in March and like hoped for the best even like announcing in March and you mm-hmm. know we had a very like we eloped and then had a celebration as you know but like if we had wanted to do a traditional venue 
I don't think that would have been like possible. Nowhere would have held two days for you for that long. Yeah. We like I haven't taken a vacation in years because oh. like I don't want to book something and have it fall through. We didn't take a honeymoon because also surgery is expensive. Mm-hmm. Like I feel incredibly, incredibly fortunate that we were in a place that we could travel out of state, and get an Airbnb, and like do surgery even if it strapped us a little. But there's people who can't do that, and then mm-hmm. like on that level. I think the most I've seen is that, like, it affected my financial life, especially before I had a job with PTO. It affected how my performance is perceived at work because, like, I have performance reviews where it was, like, she calls off a lot. And it's, like, well, like, I have to. Like, I have a medical condition. But, it, you know, whether you have a medical condition or not, it still looks bad when you're, like, calling off frequently. Um, it affected my college for a while, which, like, if anyone's listening and this resonates, I highly... I'm not a doctor, I can't give medical advice, but life experience, like, go to your school's disability accommodations, because, like, once I got a letter that said, hey, you have to give an extension to this person, like, if I write to you and say, I'm so sorry, I'm, like, having pain, you don't even have to explain yourself, like, the the professor has to allow me an extension, or, like, if I were in in in-person classes, like, missed classes, that was a game changer, because before I had nothing holding accountability, so professors would just, like, fail me if I missed too much. Well, snaps to you for, like, navigating all that while also, like, suffering through all of it. Because I honestly, if that were me, I wouldn't know the first place to start. And it sounds like you had some trial and error kind of first before you were able to figure it out. And it sucks, too, that, like, you don't always have, like, a play-by-play written out for you ahead of time for whatever it is you're going to go through in your life. And I think even people maybe with maybe like a mental health situation or my mom is type 1 diabetic and she had like a similar situation in college where it was just hard for her um, dealing with that and going to class and like nobody writes out what you're supposed to do for you ahead of time you just have to figure it out and it's hard it's so hard I wish it was more like I wish you know even if a doctor couldn't like surgically treat it I wish there was like a guide someone put together that's like hey these are some things I recommend doing to at least help you navigate life you mm-hmm. know yeah <laughs> wouldn't that be nice <laughs> Um, so I mentioned this to you quickly, so I'm gonna have like a little bit of a long-winded question. I think it's more of like a moral kind of discussion really, but I was wondering why there was like a lack of information and knowledge on the like uterus biology, I guess. Um, for a lot of doctors, I feel like there's like a, that lack of knowledge. And I discovered that in the late 70s, the FDA banned uh, anyone of childbearing potential from participating in clinical trials. And it's it was mostly due to like the possible future birth defects um, from complications. And I, th- I think that makes sense, like in my mind, um, but it's kind of a catch-22 because if you aren't studying these bodies then how can we treat them in areas expanding even like beyond endo so I just like we've and you've been kind of public about some of um your thoughts on this too which I appreciate so much because like you've really educated me a lot on some things and I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on that yeah I have so many thoughts (laughs) I think that's really interesting I didn't like concrete know that I knew that there's a lot of regulations around what they'll study with that age and everything. It got lifted like the full ban got lifted I think in 93. Okay so they will study now that makes sense but still there's like a lot that came out in that time frame and I actually just watched 
okay, I'm going to put the, the, like, disclaimer on this that I think documentaries can be really biased. So, like, I'm recommending this documentary, but I'm not saying that, like, birth control should be banned or no one should ever go on birth control. But it's called The Business of Birth Control. And it was all about, like, birth control and how it's kind of, like, just pushed. And that's my thing is, like, I'm not saying birth control should be banned, but, like, I know so many people, people as young as, like, 11 who have heavy periods that go to doctor and it's, like, here's the pill. And they are on pill the pill for 15 plus years and it's like you know you're putting a pretty heavy duty treatment as a band-aid over something that could be like an underlying issue and like so this documentary goes into like I guess the first trial for birth control like there was actually an instance of suicide and they just kind of like wrote it off and things like that like there is proof that it you know it's hormones for some people they're totally fine with that but for some people it really sabotages their life and even just like you don't ovulate when you're on the pill like a lot of people think that pill bleed they get is a real period but it's not and like you know that's okay for maybe a few months or something I don't even know if that that's okay but like long term when we're talking people are taking birth control for like years on years then yeah. you need that to like have healthy development and stuff well oh, you talked kind of briefly like you mentioned it like once you had a doctor say birth control would be good for you, or an, it was the doctor that agreed, or only agreed to surgery if you had an IUD. Yes. She mentioned yes. that because it would get rid of your period is the yeah, thing there. Yeah, like, it stops, it stops you from menstruating so that, like, endometrial tissue can't grow every time. Okay. I'm a little fuzzy, not a scientist on those details, but I know that, like, every time you get your period and that estrogen rises and stuff because the other thing that's tricky is they don't really know why endometriosis happens like okay. there's a lot of you know is it genetic is it inflammation is it we kind of know that it's like an estrogen issue but like there's no one this is what happens and then you get endometriosis so it's kind of like shots in the dark it feels like at yeah. least from my perspective of like what does treat it and so the point behind birth control is that it like stops that from continuing to grow and it stops you from having a period which is like at least my pain used to be concentrated to my period not so much at the end Mm -hmm. so my I have a couple things off of that I have an IUD like I mentioned it never stopped my period and it's not just like you said pill bleeding I have a full period every month Mm -hmm. that's not what I thought was gonna happen Mm-mm. And no one really ever had an answer for me on that. Like, I asked mm-hmm. the gynecologist that put it in um, what the deal was, and she didn't really, she kind of just danced around it. I was like, <laughs> do you even know anything about this? Like, what's going on? You mentioned you had stage four when you finally got your surgery. How does it, if you know, and if it's okay if you don't yeah. know, how does that progress? Like, how does it, when you start out, does it just start out as stage one, or can somebody um experiencing endo just have really severe endo from the get-go i don't know for sure but it sounds to me like it starts well i'm gonna back up and say this so the stages correlate with like where it's located oh okay so somebody actually with stage one could technically have worse pain than someone with stage four and vice like versa so it's not about pain yeah so like where it's located so i would guess it starts more stage one and then it would progress because i do know that like some people you know i had stage four but luckily everything nothing was like stuck together but like there are people with stage four i know where like their ovaries will be like tethered to their bowel because it's almost like this tissue is just like like spider webbing organs together so if like you're obviously if you're not getting the tissue removed it's just gonna build 
up onto each other, right? Like, because it never goes away. Or like you said, it'll try to shed, but it has nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. And that's what, like, so I actually, I called about, like, my chest end. And I was like, yeah, what's the point where, like, I would need to have surgery again? And she was saying that, like, so, like, for example, like, the endo in my chest was, like, two millimeters. Like, tiny, tiny, tiny. Okay. But thing, some endo can, like, go away. I would guess that that would only be, like, very small endo. I don't think that, like, giant bits of endo on, like, someone's bowels would just, like, disappear. Right. <laughs> stuff like that. Or it can stay the same, or it can grow. And she was like, honestly, nobody really knows why any of those options happen. You know, okay. like, I have my own things that I'm choosing to do post-op to, like, hopefully prevent it from ever coming back and keeping my body in check. But, like, at the end of the day, no one really knows, like, why endo that's there yeah. would do any of those three things. Is there a pretty good possibility you'll end up having to have surgery again someday? <laughs> He seemed pretty sure that I wouldn't. I'm I'm trying to, like, keep inflammation low in my body and, like, keep my hormones balanced. And I think that's also, I think that's how I keep myself feeling like I have some control over it, you yeah. know? Well, and I think, um, like, I had full excision surgery, but, like, technically could endo come back or regrow out of nowhere? I mean, yeah, you know? So, mm-hmm. like, if I know I have this genetic component, I know I'm prone to it, I'm going to be very sure to do certain things to not um, have that happen yeah yeah of course that makes sense (laughs) another thing that i hear a lot in the endo community that makes me really sad is a lot of women are told oh you have to have a hysterectomy and like that can be helpful and i but there's also a lot of people who like maybe wanting to have children or they're just very young and what happens is like like let's say i had been told that and gone through with a hysterectomy I still would have had symptoms because if they had just given me a hysterectomy, nothing else, I had endo in other places. Mm-hmm. It's like a lot of surgeons who aren't existing surgeons, if they go in and do this hysterectomy and they don't check other places or excise other places, there were issues I still would have had. So, like, that's something that I just like to point out because it makes me sad how many people are told that because that's a really big decision. And to do that, thinking you'll finally have relief and then not have relief is terrifying well to do that and then not have the relief and then also like you said if it's someone who maybe someday in the future did want to have a kid there are ways that are sadly it sounds like kind of hard to access that would possibly still leave them with the chance to have children um that like themselves if they wanted to mm-hmm. and then that just yeah. kind of takes that opportunity away from them i don't know if you are more passionate now knowing all this stuff about wanting to kind of create a a more like knowledgeable community about endo and like how it can actually be effectively treated in ways that don't hinder your future choices or just like leave you still with more pain or gaslit or confused so would you have you and would you ever participate in an endometriosis study Oh, I actually am right now. I'm <gasps> participating in two. As soon as, as soon as, literally, I was recovering from surgery. I was like, okay, I know I have endo now, so I'm participating. Also, also, you have to con, you have to confirm you have it first. You don't have to. I just felt like I didn't know, and so they'll often ask, like, do you have a confirmed diagnosis? What are your symptoms? Things like that. Um, so I'm doing the clinical studies, which are cool too, because you often like you're not making hundreds of dollars, but you get like some Amazon cards or something. <laughs> so I'm very focused on like I want to do like education and advocacy around it because I just think 
and like addressing barriers which i'll get to in a second i just think it blows my mind that like people can go so long without even hearing the term endometriosis Mm -hmm. or like i read this i read this um testimonial there's this organization that goes to like high schools and does education around endometriosis and this one girl was like fully going to flunk out of high school because she'd missed so much school and heard the presentation and ended up getting diagnosed with endo and like literally got those um absences excused and graduated high school because she had no idea it's like it it seems like these things are like okay well maybe people aren't comfortable but like it's life-changing mm-hmm. um so i wanted to do advocacy work around that i've been doing like i was excited to be asked to do this podcast there's um an anthology coming out that's being used like you could just buy it but like it's going to be used in the columbia school of medicine and it's all a collection of like different people's experience with endo to kind of show the range of like how it can present and I was asked to be in that so that's coming out (gasps) soon and I'm excited I'm really focused right now too on just like well there's kind of two things so the one thing I'd like to say is like I I feel really like bitter that like it took this long to get a diagnosis and get treatment right but I also feel incredibly lucky because I had the ability to like go get that treatment and so like current statistics are that like if you're a white cisgender um, woman, you, it's usually like seven to five, 7.5 to 10 year delay in diagnosis, which is a really fucking long time. That's a long time. And, and it does it go up from there for, yeah. So if you're like a person of color, it shoots up to about 13 years delay oh in diagnosis. There's not even statistics that I could find on like trans folks who absolutely can get endometriosis and yeah. do endometriosis yeah. and don't fit within those binaries, you know, even just like sitting there and like, It'll be like the woman's center for excellence. The woman, that's know, probably like, so that, like, language needs hard. to just shift a little, you know. Yeah. Well, and I think I mean I don't know if your opinions have changed on Planned Parenthood. I think it's hard, at least publicly, um, in their large media settings, they do a pretty good job of yeah. including well, everyone. I love about Planned Parenthood. Yeah, and I I did a fellowship with them back in like 2017, so I'd even love to like connect with them I think I work as like a peer in the mental health field and I think there'd be a really I think it would be really cool to work as like a peer in this sector where people who are struggling with diagnosis could get referred because I was just reflecting it's reading a really good book it's called period problems endometriosis painful sex and other taboo topics Mm -hmm. it's written by some right for BuzzFeed and it's the first thing I've ever read where I was like someone's putting like the pain I used to feel into words like I I don't know how to describe it and this book is like describing it but she also writes about like just this guilt that comes this feeling of like okay what if I you know like she was writing about like you go out and you eat a cookie but then my pain's bad it's like should I not be in this cookie but it's like I'd probably have this pain even if I didn't eat this cookie and then I'm not living my life and was just talking about this like thought cycling and I was reflecting on like you know personally like getting surgery I feel so much better, but, like, you know, there's been, they say it takes about three months to fully even out, and I'll hit three months post-op at the end of this month. Like, there's been, I had a really painful ovulation, and I was, like, spiraling. Like, I was, like, I'm going to get in this horrible pain again because it's, like, trauma in your body. Like, your brain remembers that, and it's almost like it goes to worst-case scenario. So I was reflecting, I think that it's really cool do an internship next year, so I'm trying to push to, like, maybe do a peer program like about this where we can sit and talk or talk about these are things that have helped me you know I'm not a doctor this is just I get it I've been there I like understand what it's like because you know doctors are busy and they don't have time to sit there and like therapize it you know Mm -hmm. absolutely well and also they're not always trained for that either you know lower income communities because it blows my mind even if you could get with a doctor in those communities 
what if you don't have a job where you can take time off work to recover from surgery and it would be unpaid and you can't do that? What if you don't have health insurance? What if your insurance isn't taken by the doctor? What if you have kids that need care and you're a single parent and you're now, you couldn't deal with recovering from surgery and care for your kids? Like, what if, you know, we luckily have like a car and could travel out of state, but what if the closest doctor is out of state? We had to go up there one, two, three times. So we had to go to Ohio three times. You know, that's three times of booking an Airbnb, taking off work, mm-hmm. gas in the car. Like there's people that that's not feasible for. And well, and too, like you mind. have to feed yourself while you're there. Like everything costs money when you're not at home. Yeah. Parking at the hospital, like, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. This, too, I just thought about this, because you mentioned, like, what if you have kids while you need to get this treatment? What if you have kids while you're just not getting treated, and you have to take time mm-hmm. off work? There's so and, like, times, I mean, even we have a puppy, and, like, when I was on my period, so, like, my thing is I'd often get in the bathtub, because that was where I got the most relief, just, like, continually burning hot water, and I, there were times where I literally stayed in the bathtub for, like, 24-plus hours and, like, did not get out. I'd have, like, bruises on the back of my neck each month from being in the bathtub for so long, and my wife would have to take the day off to let our puppy out, feed her. She'd have to, like, bring me stuff because I literally could not get out of the tub, and that's, like, it affects her. Also, people in her life, you know, don't understand or think I'm being, like, super dramatic. That's been, like, an issue, Mm -hmm. and it's just... I, there were times that I was like, I want kids so desperately, but, like, how could we possibly have kids? Like, I, you're in so much pain that you, like, can't even think. Like, anything that brings you, like, joy or happiness is just painful to even think about. Like, it's just, you're so overwhelmed by Mm -hmm. the pain. And I don't know, I mean, there are people who are single parents and have endo and have to just, like, muster it up, but, like, I literally I don't know how they do it. No. To them. I also didn't even consider, too. It's so lucky that you have um, Lindsay because she's just the most empathetic human on the planet. But, like, this also could affect any sort of relationship you could e- ever have. Oh, oh, yeah. And it has in my life. And, like, you know, there's also times where I lived alone or I had roommates, but, you know, like, roommates aren't going to come. Like, <laughs> hang out with you while you're naked in the tub. Like, you know, like, there were times I was, like, crawling on the floor of my studio apartment to go get water, you know, or, like, things like that. And it's hard when you're in a relationship. It's so helpful to have someone there to, like, keep you sane, to get things for you, to get food in your body. And, like, that's a lot to put on another person. Like, I'm lucky she's my wife. We live together. She cares about me. Mm-hmm. So she did it. Like, especially when I was in relationships where you don't live with that person or they are in school during the day or anything like that. It's like, I want to ask you to be with me, but like, I can't, they can't always, and they shouldn't have to be, you know? Mm -hmm. I literally want to do anything to help and like spread awareness because I know how frustrating it is. So like, even just, you know, they estimate one in 10 women are uterus bearing folks, but honestly, with the delay in diagnosis, numbers think it might be up to like two intent you know like wow. uh, which is like similar numbers to the amount of people that are affected by diabetes like that's mm-hmm. like a lot of people and when I was posting about this on Instagram you would not believe how many people message me like people that I don't even know are like hey like I've had really bad periods like my story sounds a lot like yours and stuff like it is very common but I think it's you know because it's periods it's this taboo thing where like no one talks about it and in my experience it kind of seems like typical like cisgender men are like no 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 don't talk to me about that ew 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 and then cisgender women are kind of like I have a period it's not that bad like they can't you know they just think you have some cramps like take a fucking night all like mm-hmm. you know like they don't get that like this is not just cramps it's not the same thing Mm-mm. um 
we mentioned earlier kind of going back to the topic of IUDs it's not talked about in the way that most people who are using it really experience it my and you said like maybe you said I think eight months after getting your IUD like that was just a really painful time for you the full like year and a half after getting my IUD was just terrible it was horrible they don't talk about it yeah because they said the adjustment period would be three to six months for me I only gave it so long because I felt like maybe it just needs to even out in my body you know Mm -hmm. and like you said I kept going in I got like a handful of ultrasounds like something's not right like this isn't sitting in the right spot it like goes right next like up against your cervix I think so I was like did it go in like is something wrong because every time I have my period I'm doubled on like I like you probably know this feeling again I've never experienced endo but that was probably the point in my life where my cramps were the worst I would have like a bout of pain out of nowhere that would just like take me to the floor like it was just really bad and I haven't I've adjusted better since then like it's not like that anymore but I was like this is not what they made it sound like at Mm -hmm. all and I felt very medically gaslit by that experience because I kept going in they didn't tell me about it beforehand and then after they were like oh that's normal it's not normal. <laughs> and, like, let's, like, reframe, okay, maybe something's normal, that doesn't mean it's okay or good or even, like, sustainable. Mm-hmm. Like, what is normal, you know? Right. Like, maybe if this is the normal, we need to reevaluate why we're widely prescribing this. Yeah, I love you for saying that. I haven't even thought about that. <laughs> That's so true. And also, I think the way that they are administered isn't normal. There's a difference with how it's handled in a lot of other countries. It kind of sounded like they did yours while you were doing another surgery. Yeah, I was I was asleep for the um, putting it in, and I'm very glad because I have a lot of friends who said that they've even gone to get one and, like, like literally couldn't finish the process. It was so painful. I will never be getting another one inserted. I will never forget that pain. It was... I, I don't... I could do it. I can barely do a pap smear because, like, anything penetrative is horrible with endo. Like, that's like a like a lot of people oh. have endo like cannot have penetrative sex. Like, I I didn't know that. I genuinely don't think I could have gotten the IUD in. It was terrible. She told me to expect a little pinch, and I passed Ooh. out. <laughs> oh yes, you are like far from the first person I've heard say they passed out while getting an IUD. Like, why are we acting like this is just a normal thing? <laughs> I don't know how long we've been talking, but just to kind of put a little bow on it, you mentioned some resources already, but if you have any other ones that you know of for people yeah. um, who either know they have endo or like, wait, this is me, anything that would help them? Yeah, absolutely. I have so many. I would definitely say start with the Nancy's Nook Endometriosis Group because you're allowed to post questions there. They have a lot of resources in their files. Um, I really like Sylvia Young has a foundation and she is actually who's collected the anthology that's coming out this spring. It's called Good Girl, Bad Period. So on Instagram, it's fem underscore truth. And I also really like it because it's geared towards like adolescence and education around that. And she put together a play that I'm waiting to watch called Gaslit. And it's like a three-part play about like medical gaslighting when it comes to endometriosis. So I'm excited for that. And then um, the Endometriosis Summit's pretty cool. It's actually happening this weekend, virtual and in Florida it's online but there's like I'm taking a class called like it's an endometriosis advocacy class so like how to be like an advocate but it's a 
summit that's for practitioners so doctors and patients and so they like overview things there's like a day that's doctor specific with workshops anyone is like more than welcome to reach out to me like I'm not a doctor but I do feel like I have like resources I can point people towards yeah. and just also like validating like I'm happy to go into more detail not on a podcast about like <laughs> these are all the symptoms that I had because I feel like not everyone wants to hear that <laughs> um, so people are welcome to reach out to me and then Endofound I've heard mixed things about them but I do think they have some really good resources so I would like plug them and then there's a great book called Know Your Endo um the book I was talking about the like painful painful periods endometriosis and other taboo topics was a really good book it made me feel really seen you know if you're someone who thinks you might have it and just support like reddit groups are really nice I'm part of like I think there's an endo and then an endometriosis reddit group anything like that's really good just to kind of like get support there's a lot of good tips on there of like different things to use stuff like that those are my big ones. Awesome. Yeah, no, that was good. a lot. Thank you. No, that was like amazing. <laughs> I'm very much a resource gathering person. Thank you so much again to Sarah. Uh, we had a lovely conversation. I was so excited to get the opportunity to talk to her, especially about something that um, I'd never really taken the time to think too much about before. She really opened my eyes to a lot of things, and I hope that she could do that for some other people as well. Um, If you ever need any of those resources, they're always available to you, and I'm sure that Sarah would be more than happy to answer any questions someone may have. I will put her Instagram in the show notes. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your week, and I will have another episode next Thursday.